go ahead and grab your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry's going to go back to the back table and hold them up. I'm just going to throw your hand in the air and he'll bring you one. Um, I'm sorry I don't have a voice amplification device this morning. Um, I don't know it didn't work, so we're, I'm just going to yell. Everyone can hear me good? Well, can everyone hear me well? Yes. All right, so this morning we're going we're gonna to go into, we're going to take our second week here in uh, our sermon series that we call Heart Check, and we're, we're talking about money and material and mastery particularly. Um, and this week what we want to do is consider generosity, and we want to consider uh, the generosity of God and then how we're called to respond particularly to that. So this morning we're going to go to this Romans 8 passage. Uh, this, the, uh, and, and consider a little bit what Paul writes to the Romans here, um, and think through how God is generous towards us, and then how we are called in response to be generous as well. Uh, just so you know, when we when I said money, we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about doing a building campaign. So you can rest assured that that's that's okay. We're here. We're in the Civic Center. We're content right now where we're at. Um, so what this is not doing is asking us or asking you for money, what it is asking you to do is consider how money reflects your heart and, and what it means. Um, the, and that's really the question that we want to be asking ourselves as we look through it. I think we're going to spend four or five more weeks considering these topics and these ideas related to finances. Um, and really the question that we want to be asking ourselves is how, do, how does what I do uh, reflect my heart, and especially with money. And that the, way that, uh, the way that this is what we called last week a discipleship issue. Last week we talked about Matthew chapter 6. We talked about the ways that, uh, or what Jesus said when he said, hey, where your treasure is, your heart is there too. Uh, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And that's what, kind of what that video was talking about. It says, hey, if you're living here on earth, you know that this is temporary, earthly. This is not going to extend into the future um, much farther. But there's this line that's eternity. It's never ending. It's ongoing. We're living in light of the line. But if we live for the things here on this earth, we live for this material stuff here on earth, the things that are earthly, then we will be constantly moving away from that, and that gives us reason to despair. Because the things that we buy, they decay, they rust. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. That's what we want to do. We don't want to do that. We want to store up treasures for heaven because we're, we're moving. If we're in Christ, we're moving towards that understanding, and we will, uh, we will move towards our treasure away from the material, and we will find everlasting joy there. So we explored some of the implications then coming out of Matthew chapter 6 last week. And what Jesus was saying, he says, if you want to look at what you truly value in your world, if you want to look at what you truly value in your world, you will look at your wallet, you will look at your bank statement, you will look at your credit card statement, because that shows you where, your, uh, where value for you lies. And he says, invest in things that don't go away, and consider your world realistically. Remember, he said, hey, if your eye is dark, then you're going to look at the world uh, in, in an incorrect way. But if your eyes full of light, then you will see and perceive correctly uh, the things that you have been given here on earth. So the question is, are we focused on the immediate? Um, and oftentimes, then we miss what's going on at the soul level for us, what's going on in our, in our heart. If, we're, if we are focused on the immediate, oftentimes we miss what's going on in the soul level. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came to blow up some of these notions. And a lot of this, 
think I mentioned this last week, I think when I got to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, I think I said something along the lines of, like, I wish that wasn't in there. I wish that wasn't there. Because that's a hard truth. And if that truth doesn't compel you, if that truth doesn't move you this morning, if that truth doesn't, if you hear that and it's just in one ear and out the other, um, we've got some work to do then. But what Jesus wanted to do is sort of in that passage in Matthew chapter 6 is hold up this big mirror in your heart and say, are you living for earthly temporary stuff or heavenly eternal realities? And so I think it's important to note as we dive in this morning to Romans chapter 8 when we read verses 31 through 39 together this morning, um, that this is not, this is not a, and I don't want to be flippant with this, but this is not a joke. Um... We're coming to this with a, a serious amount of gravity. This concept in Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about money more than anything else. Why? To make us feel uncomfortable. To make us feel uncomfortable. Because he knew that money oftentimes reflected where our heart was at. So again, if, you, if, you, if you're here this morning and you're uncompelled by this truth that we find in God's Word... Uh, and, and, and how Scripture speaks to money and to our hearts, um, then I would, I would encourage you to go away from this and to engage in prayer, some serious self-reflection, and say, why am, I not feeling, why am I not feeling weird about this? Why am I not feeling weird about this? And it's probably because um, your joy is going to be found in your afternoon nap today rather than, rather than the truth of Scripture. Remember a few weeks back when we did our we did our vision Sunday, we talked about the cost of discipleship and what that looks like. What does that mean? What is the cost? What does it mean to count the cost, right? I mean, there's a big there's a big understanding of what that means. Jesus said, "Take up your cross and follow me," and that means that we're crucifying self-interest every single moment of every single day. So Jesus' words in Matthew chapter six, we talked about last week, are meant to make us feel good in a, maybe like a Christian radio sort of positive, encouraging way, it's supposed to make us squirm. It's supposed to make us squirm. That's what it's intended to do. He's, he's saying, look at your heart. Look at your heart and what's going on inside of us. And if any of us are realistic about looking inside of our heart, it's going to make us squirm. It's going to make us squirm. Because we're sinful and we haven't fully counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And there's something inside of us that says, that's going to hear this this morning and say, now I'm good. No, I'm good. Everything's good. I'll follow Jesus when it's convenient and when it's not, I won't. And we want to say, I love Jesus, but then we invest in temporary earthly things and our credit card statement, our bank statement, our wallet <laughs> betrays us. And the fact of the matter that is, if Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, like he does in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, if he says you can't serve both God and money, then you can't. So stop trying. Many of us in here this morning are riding that fence and it's time to make a call. We have to stop doing what Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, tells us that we are capable of doing. We're capable of doing it. You cannot serve two masters. No one can serve both God and money. 
Okay, so let the, I just needed to say that. So let me let me move back to where we started here. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse thirty-one. That's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to read through verse thirty-nine, and we're going to really key in on verse thirty-two. Um, so let me read this for us, and I'm going to give you a big idea, and then we'll dive in. <coughs> Romans chapter eight. This is verse thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tri shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we look at this text, right? We look at this text in Romans chapter 8, and we see this embedded in this incredible chapter in Romans chapter 8, where, where, G, where, where Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he is... He is uh, illuminating for his readers uh, how it is that we as people are saved. And so when you look at this text in particular, this is, a, this is a passage, this is a text about salvation. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And in that, in that verse there, we see God's generosity. So the big idea this morning, what I want to communicate to you this morning is this. God's free gift of eternal life should invoke a response of generosity by his people. Very simple. God's free gift of eternal life should invoke a response of generosity by his people. So let's consider again, let's consider Romans 8 verses 31 through 39 together this morning. And we'll draw some conclusions much like we did last week. So again, the big thing that I want to say coming out of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, is that God has not withheld anything from us. If you look at this passage and you think to yourself, God is withholding from me, then you've missed the point of this passage. God has not withheld anything from me. The, the Q, again, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And this is an incredible cost. If, again, if you glaze over this, this verse, if you, if you just read it and you think, oh, that's nice, then, then you miss the point. He who did not uh, spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Oh, this is an incredible cost. And Paul is trying to communicate to his Roman audience the gravity of this sacrifice. The gravity of this sacrifice. This is not simple. 
he's saying is there wasn't any length that God wouldn't go to in restoring his people. There was no length that God would not go to to restore his people. Uh, he gave up his own son. This is what we were studying when we were thinking about the book of Lamentations, where we saw Jerusalem being destroyed, and we, we said God was not above, there was, no, there was no length to which God would not go to restore his people, and he looked at, Lam or he looked at Jerusalem and he said, he said this, is, this is what I'm going to do to restore you, this was good, he brought about suffering to his people so they might come back to him, they might return to him. And then in this verse 2 and verse 32, the, the second part of this verse how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave up his son, why would he withhold from us? Why would he withhold from us? If he was graciously giving up his son, why would he withhold from us? And so there's a, there's a, there's a clarification that we need to uh, embark on here as we, look at, uh, as we look at the second half of verse 32. Because this could quickly run down a health, wealth sort of understanding of the gospel. Which is clearly not what Paul's saying, if you look at the larger context here, but it could go that way. So the logic goes something like this. God wants to give you all things, so if you don't have all things, then you're doing something wrong. Then you're doing something wrong. God wants to give you all things, so if you don't have all things, then you're doing something wrong. This is a false gospel. This is a false gospel. It is a perversion of the truth. And again, we need to consider the context here in Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing about our justification. We see that uh, our justification before God, that we stand before God, justified so that you look at us and say, I see my son Jesus. And therefore the thrust here becomes about all things necessary. We have a tendency to think about our physical needs and our physical our needs in a physical sense only, right? We, we tend to go there. We just think about those things. We remember our discussion of the eye last week when I mentioned it earlier. We, we need to see the spiritual realities that lie underneath the physical ones. Our physical needs are, are, are part of our world. We need to consider it more holistically. We need to think about who we are, and we're not just physical, material beings. But God looks right through and sees our spiritual condition and he calls us to do the same. He has promised that our physical needs will be provided for, but as a shadow of the incredible spiritual provision that he makes for us in Jesus. He says your physical needs will be provided, but what it's going to do is it's going to be a shadow, it's going to be a picture, it's going to paint a portrait for you in what I have provided for you in Jesus Christ. This is the dot in the line, right? Like in the dot, we've been provided for. Like God has given us things. He's given us stuff. He's, he's given us food on our table. He's provided for us here and now, but that gives us a portrait. It paints a picture for us to see eternity. That God has granted us an understanding in eternity that we as his people would be provided for for all of eternity. There will not come a point in eternity where God says, no, no longer is what I've given you sufficient. He has graciously given us all things and it will carry us for eternity in his presence. And so when Paul asks this question leading into verse 32 and verse 31, it's, it's a rhetorical question, right? Like, we know what the answer is. He says, well, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, too, can be against us? 
And the answer to the question is rooted in what God has done and also who God is, right? God has done what God done for us in Jesus. We understand that's the gospel that Jesus came to earth. He lived a life that was perfect. He died an undeserved death. He was buried, he was crucified, buried, rose again, and is seated as the right hand of, the, of God. And in him we can experience life eternal. But also, this is rooted in who God is. He's not a stingy, miserly God, as we see in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if we look at verse 31, we see a patient, loving, gracious, generous God. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is a resounding no one. No one. If God is for us, then who can be against us? The answer is no one. And after verse, and after verse 32 and verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? The answer is no one. And then in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one and nothing. Paul is writing that God has comprehensively taken care of everything for you. Everything for you has been provided for in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that has not been provided for for you in Jesus Christ. And so just considering that as we think about that truth, and then we move out of it, what does that mean for us? kind of takes us back to the understanding of the big idea this morning. As God's generosity should invoke generosity in us. The question is then, if God hasn't withheld anything, why would we withhold? Why would we be a withholding people? Why would we withhold if God hasn't withheld anything from us? And the question, if we consider what we talked about last week, if we considered our treasure, if we considered where we are with our treasure, that we have earthly, temporary things, if we're pursuing those above heavenly, eternal things, if we think about it in those terms, if we think about it in those terms, why would we withhold, these are practical handles then for us, why would we withhold anything financially? Why would we withhold what we've been given financially? Why would we withhold our gifts? Why would we withhold our resources that we've been given? And since money is the most practical expression of our understanding of the generosity of God, there are a few things that I want to point out to us here related to money. It's just an expression of God's generosity, how we respond to what He has done for us in Jesus. And how we think about and use money reflects our hearts. Again, like we talked about last week in Matthew chapter 6. It is a direct reflection of our hearts, how we use money. So here are just a few thoughts for you, and we'll run through these. What it might look like for God's generosity to invoke generosity in us. I'm going to say these in like a negative way, um, because I think it's helpful. First, if you're stingy with money, you will be stingy in your commitment to the body of Christ. If you're stingy with money, you'll be stingy 
and your commitment with the body of Christ. Um, last week, I got some positive feedback on my sermon, and so I'm just going to go for the jugular here, because I feel like I've built up some, some cred, so here we go. <laughs> Many of us this morning show up on Sunday and have no meaningful relationships with the people on our left and our right. One, because we made very little effort. Um, I, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of excuses. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Well, it might surprise you. I don't know if it surprises you or not. I'm an introvert. I'm drained by people. I will go away. This is not a big group of people. I will go away from here and it will take me a full 24 hours to recover from this this morning. That's a fact of the matter. Like, I am drained. It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy people. I enjoy people in, in small, closed contexts where, where there's not, like, a bunch of them around me. Maybe you see that, maybe you don't, I don't know, I am. As a people, as a church, let's not use that as an excuse. But the author of Hebrews didn't write in Hebrews chapter 10, to not forsake the meeting together, unless you're an introvert. We tend to put conditions on the commands given in Scripture. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Obey everything. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So maybe for you, the cost of discipleship is plowing through relentless social anxiety. Maybe that's what it means to count the cost of following Jesus. Another thing I hear is, well, I, I don't really know that I have anything co in common with these people? And the answer is, yes, you do. Like if you're in Christ, the Spirit of Christ resides in you. The God of the universe dwells inside of you. He lives inside of you. He's taken up residence in you. And some of us are involved here with the people in our lives. Again, what I'm not doing is saying, get here on a Sunday morning because that's important. What I'm saying to you is what we've said for a few weeks now, that we're not committed to meetings, we're committed to people. They can be committed to the people around you. <coughs> all of us need to hear this, me included, all of us need to hear this. And if you think that, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this isn't too honest, but maybe if I'm being too honest, what we need to do is consider what's given to us in Scripture. This is what I thought about when I thought about this, this concept. If you're, you're invited to a friend's for dinner, right? For Thanksgiving, say. Thanksgiving dinner, turkey, mashed potatoes, cranberries, stuffing, a whole nine yards, it's a beautiful meal, you sit down, your friend serves you a big plate of food and says, go ahead, dig in, eat it, it's perfect. But then you look at the spread and you look at everything and you say, you know what, I'm good sitting on the floor eating the crumbs. I'm good sitting on the floor eating the crumbs. 
I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. That's what it looks like to come to be committed to a meeting and not committed to people. That's what that looks like. And frequently engaging anyone outside of the context of here or a community group, that idea, that concept, whatever it is, means that you're okay eating the crumbs that fall off the Thanksgiving table when there's a chair and a plate of food sitting there for you. That's really judgmental. No, it's not. It's concern for the fact that you're eating pecan pie crumbs when you could be participating in the best meal of the year. This is a means by which God has chosen to communicate himself to you, to grow you, to develop you, to make you more into the image of Jesus. Isolate yourself from God's people and you cut yourself off from a major food source. Oh, I'm good with I'm good with no fruit. Well now you have spiritual scurvy. So what does this have to do with money? What am I talking about? I'm just ranting. What does this have to do with money? Well, if you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 32, God did not withhold anything from us. If your heart is reflected in how you use your money, that reflection is withholding or stingy, your connection with the people of God will, on some level, mirror that. On some level, it will mirror that mentality. My wife said to me this week, you can't, she said, she said to me, just, we had an interesting week, and, and, and she said to me, she said, uh, she said, I feel like I, I've only begun to give now that I don't have anything left to give. So if God freely gave us everything, and he did not spare his own son, like Paul writes to us, and now he freely gives us all things, you're not giving if you're withholding yourself. You're just extending a handout. And God doesn't want your handouts. He wants your life. He doesn't want your handouts. He wants you to count the cost of discipleship and follow Him. Everything belongs to God. God made it all. He doesn't need your handouts. Bill Gates is worth, I think, I looked at the right numbers, Bill Gates is worth about $75 billion. $75 billion. Warren Buffett, these are the two most wealthiest Americans. Warren Buffett is worth 60-ish billion dollars, I think if I remember right. Buffett is estimated to have given away, in his lifetime, given away $30 billion. Just given away $30 billion. So your Wikipedia entry then says philanthropist, right? So $30 billion given away by Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates is not far behind. The estimated total was $29 billion. Nice work, guys. That's really great. But God spoke the universe into existence. He owns planets and stars and galaxies. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much you planet worth, but probably more than $75 billion. I mean, that, that number's hard for me to perceive. Maybe you could go buy a planet for $75 billion. Maybe you could get one for a dollar. I don't know. Like if it's far enough away that you never get to it. You can like buy a star and like name, name, your, name it your kid's name. Or 
So what I'm saying is that God doesn't need your money. It's already his. Warren and Bill's God or money is also God's. And so the point stands, if you're stingy with money, you won't invest in God's people. Because you're withholding. Okay. So that's practical. The second one, though, is, is I think a little bit more abstract, but I want you to track with me here. If you're stingy with money, you believe God's promises are only possibilities. I talk about this a lot this week. If you're stingy with money, you believe God's promises are only possibilities. And so what do I mean by that? You think that God is not generous in all areas, sometimes he's stingy. If, if in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says that he freely gives us all things, we look at that and we say, yeah, but I think he's stingy sometimes. First of all, we've departed from reality because that's not what the truth of Scripture says. It's communicating effectively uh, something about who God is. If you read the promise, if you go back in the chapter to verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul writes this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you think that God's promises are only possibilities, you will read that and you will say, well, there might be condemnation for me. The promise isn't contingent on you, but you're saying that God isn't faithful to keep it. If God promises to provide for all of your needs, if God promises to provide for all of your needs, and you walk away from that, that promise that is given clearly in Scripture, you walk away from that and you worry that God is not going to provide for all of your needs, and you believe His promises are only possibilities. If God promises to provide for physical needs, which He does, your worry is demonstrating that you believe that God might not provide for your needs. If I give away everything in a, in a spirit of generosity as a response, if God calls me as a response to His generosity to me in Jesus to give away everything, God has promised to provide for all of my needs, and He will. Again, will He not freely give us all things? We just say to ourselves, well, maybe you won't. We say, well, sure, I believe in God's promises. Absolutely, I believe in God's promises. Again, look at the bank statement. Does it reflect generosity that mirrors God's generosity? If not, you're living like God's promises are only possibilities. Okay. So finally... This morning, we're going to think about this specifically, and this is where I want to leave you this morning. If you're stingy with your money, and this is a big one, this is a hard one, this is the most difficult one that I can possibly think of. If you're stingy with your money, then you haven't believed the gospel. Oh boy. That's hard. If you're stingy with your money, then you haven't believed the gospel. If you believed the gospel, and we're all in this spot. We're all guilty of this. We're all in this spot. 
If you believe the gospel, if you trusted Jesus, if you see him as more beautiful than anything in this world, then why are our wallets lagging behind? Why are our wallets lagging behind? Why are we investing in earthly things and not heavenly things? Why is the mission of the local church to go make disciples so unimportant to you? Why are you returning to gods that are empty, broken, and subject to rot and decay? <coughs> and this is all of us. And so we cry out. We cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. <coughs> so the admonition is this. Look at our heart. Look at your heart. Does it mirror God and his generosity. Or, when we consider Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Does our heart mirror God and his generosity, or does it reflect self-interested, earthly, comfort-seeking mentalities? Right now, I'm just going to invite you just to, just to bow your head. <coughs> the worship team is going to come up here. We're, we're actually going to sing a new song this morning um, that, uh, that we haven't sung before. So just like stay seated during this time and just think about where we're at. Think about God's generosity towards you. Think about how the words of this song reflect that idea. You can sing along when you feel comfortable. But again, just, just take one minute right now. Just one minute. And think about, think about God's generosity towards you in Jesus if you are in Christ.